0: wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Rachel Abbott and this is The Leader. Today we're giving you some bonus content taken from our business show, How To Be A CEO. An opportunity to hear from the most powerful people behind some of the world's biggest brands. This is a cut down version of the full episode. To hear the full thing, hit the link in the show notes. Find a new episode of How to Be a CEO every Monday morning and why not give it a rate and follow whilst you're there. Now, let's begin. It'd be a bit mean, but if you walked into pretty much any financial organisation on Wall Street or elsewhere and whispered, CMA, You'd hear the coffee cups drop and possibly some weeping. The Chartered Financial Analyst qualification is known as the world's toughest exam, which also makes it one of the most sought after. The pass rate for level one of three was 36% last February. A lot of people fail first time round.
2: Yes, I would be one of those people (laughs) fall asleep in the exam.
1: Mark Franklin picked herself up and is now the CEO of the CFA Institute, which, apart from administering a brutal exam around the world, promotes education, ethics and professional excellence in the investment profession. And that's one that took a big hit during the pandemic.
2: For us, it was consequential, right? We were unable for the very first time in our history to not administer exams for pretty much a full year everywhere in the world.
1: I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard. The CFA is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year, so it's navigated many eras of economic uncertainty. So when we meet Mark, I want to know how.
2: The way to stay relevant is two things. One is to know specifically what your unique value proposition is, what is it that we do, and then have a system that informs the way you keep that value proposition alive and well.
1: What's interesting is that going through all of those changes, how you work has changed dramatically. But the core mission, I guess, of the CFA hasn't really changed at all, has it? It's very simple. It's very effective. This is what we do. How we do it might change, but this is what we do.
2: We continue to see incredible durability and foundational um, orientation of that mission. How we deliver on that mission and the strategies and initiatives that we put behind it, of course, will change over time um, You know, to adapt to new market and the changing investment landscape. But equally, the changing nature of the investment professionals that are coming in. And for us in particular, the changing nature of how people learn, adapt new behaviors, new skills and capabilities.
1: I want to talk about a couple of, of those things. But what I'm, I'm really interested in is you were talking about how society itself is changing. We have Gen Z coming into the workforce right now. What are their priorities?
2: Gen Z, I think, is an, a marvelous thing injection into us reevaluating our purpose. And that is that Gen Z in particular, um, through technology, through social media, information transmission quickly and effectively is demanding, I think, an integration of personal values and professional contribution. So when we did our graduate outlook study, 87% of people who are entering the workforce in this industry Have uh, two very particular things. They want to know that what they're doing. Professionally is making a societal contribution and an environmental contribution.
1: I'd guess one of the biggest problems for people who are just entering the workforce now, and particularly those with an ambition to to secure leadership roles, is working from home. And I know that the, the CFA has released its uh, future of work report, looking into these kinds of aspects. Are there problems with people? Coming into offices, but actually not not meeting their, they're not meeting their colleagues, maybe not getting that kind of mentorship that you might have expected when you you'd first started a job is it Is it harder to succeed for somebody just starting in work today?
2: I think the benefits of working from home and the challenges of working from home each have separate dimensions. First of all, I think for every CEO. It's challenging the essential nature of work. Like what does need to be done in the office? Why do we come together? Are we very clear about those things? There's many, many things that were implicit in our business and operating models that we didn't even really question. It's just like you didn't interrogate those things. And now we're getting to sort of almost existential, essential Um, evaluation of those propositions. The good news is, is nobody has a playbook for this. The pandemic, nobody, no CEO, no leader knows what to do. We don't have historical playbooks for a modern context that we can pull off the shelf.
1: Is that how you approached it initially, Marg? Were you excited about what's happening here? Or were you like, rather a lot of people going, as you said, there's no playbook. What do I do? (laughs) I mean, how how have you had to adapt?
2: Well, look, for us, it was constant. Sequential, Right. We were unable for the very first time in our history to not administer exams for pretty much a full year everywhere in the world. Didn't matter whether you were a CEO or any other job competing for broadband with your children. Uh, your dog coming in front of your screen, the soundtrack of your life now on full display, those were applicable to all of us. And that equalizing factor, I think has created a humanity approach to evaluating what are going to be really challenging problems. I might note, and we're just in the early stages of this, that after two years of the pandemic, I think we are seeing much greater evidence of mental challenges a different type of challenge emerging as we come back to work, as we figure these things out, because there isn't great certainty.
1: That influx of those younger people where things like mental health are more important, or at least they're they're prepared to talk about them. That's changing the culture, really, isn't it? It's making making corporations, making companies more open to having these discussions and and also recognising, I think, problems that have probably been there for a very long time.
2: Mm -hmm. I think it's a tricky period um, because when you get into these spaces like we're not experts on this right and you're really having to deal with it no matter what you do as a CEO you know even with the best of intentions and with the best data and information that you have at the moment and the best instincts I think we're being asked to be much to use our experience and our technical skills and our professional skills but in a more instinctive way, as we navigate through this, you will not be able to satisfy all of your employees, all of your constituents. And uh, I think the discourse that's going on in society, in companies, in, you know, amongst stakeholders is um, one we've never really seen before. Speed and transmission of information, democratic platforms, uh, you know, create an interesting challenge for CEOs.
1: Let's go to the ads now. And while they're on, do please hit the follow button on your podcast provider. We'll be back after these. It's that time of
2: the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away.
0: Wherever you get your podcast, thanks for listening.
1: When you were talking to those CEOs and, and, and doing those roundtables discussions, did you get an impression that people wanted to return to the pre-pandemic world of people coming back into the office, or was there a, either an acceptance that that's not going to happen, or maybe a determination not to let it happen again? Where where were people?
2: So. I think- into it, I think people were were really thinking in probably ninety day increments. Like, how do we shore up our operations? What are our single points of failure? People started to talk about very early on resiliency through redundancy. Had this just in time, just financially calibrated system, maybe not thought about risk in the same way. So really rich and robust discussions. And I don't think anybody had a clue whether we were going back soon, or whether we would be in for the long haul. So I think it was an opportunity to really evaluate how the system was holding up. And really to think about our people in a very different way.
1: You had to cancel the exams for the first time in your history. I mean, how have you brought people back into doing stuff how did you keep people you know look it might be a year might even be longer but we we really want you to stay in how did you encourage those people to, to stay involved with the cfa
2: those candidates that had been deferred had you think about performing for a sports athlete you know they train and they train and they train for this particular moment and peak for performance on the day that you have to perform well now all that's been disrupted and we didn't have a playbook for how to enable candidates to quickly uh, get back on track to be able to do those exams. We saw a lot of data that showed us that deferred candidates simply weren't performing as well. And so how did we engage with them? We shared with them our insights and data. We looked to our experience bank. Many of us are charter holders. It takes us two seconds to go back to that moment. It really is an iconic moment for most of us
1: are those women who are in Gen Z, joining the workforce today, will they face the same barriers that you and other people you know have faced?
2: I don't think they'll face the same barriers, just something like acknowledging um, family life, whether that's elder care, child care, you know, whatever circumstances it is, that genie is not going back into the bottle. I don't think we have solved the issue of accommodating for, in particular, um, children, and how how that integrates, how we have on ramps off ramps how we how we accommodate different stages of um, career we're getting better at it i, I think we'll spend the next day, decade working on that
1: that was mark franklin of the cfa institute for the latest and best business news read the evening standard newspaper or head to standard.co.uk forward slash business how to be a ceo is back first thing on monday morning we'd love to see you again